We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want Fifteen yards, four touchdowns, went head-to-head with Russell Wilson and was the better quarterback yesterday. Josh Allen stood out for me. And Sean McDermott in the post-game comments reveals Josh Allen's grandmother passed away Saturday night. Wow. Mm. Passed away and he didn't say anything to anybody in the media. He kind of just kept it. The amount of emotions that were probably swirling around his head and people starting to doubt Josh Allen a little bit. They're 7-2 for the first time since 1993. He's third in the league in passing yards. Mm. And this guy is the leader of a team that is the dominant team in the AFC East right now. I know two was coming. Mm-hmm. I know two was coming, and I get it. Mm-hmm. But this was a, hey, remember us. They lost a couple games, and everyone yeah. jumped off that bandwagon. They've now won a few games in a row, and Josh Allen was awesome. Rest in peace for his grandmother. I know that was a big deal for him, and it was heavy on his shoulders. But, God, this guy was awesome. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Peter Schrager talking about Josh Allen, his performance, and what that means to the Buffalo Bills in 2020. It's a hell of a game yesterday. I mean, how could you not give the guy kudos? <sighs> how do you not? How do you not love what Josh Allen just went out there and did for us? Folks, we have a packed show for you tonight. I can't wait to dig into the recap, our preview of the Arizona Cardinals. It feels like we have this season by the balls now, doesn't it? Yeah. We got a firm, well, at least the division. We got a firm hold on the division. I'll tell you what. I want to start this off in the theme of tonight. We're hosting Nate, Nate Geary, WGR 550 host. He's joining us tonight for our recap, for our preview. 
But before we do, I felt like I've been sitting on this for a little while. Chris, we talked about all the times we've asked our listeners. Because of Justin from Florida who sent you diapers? Why a six-pack of beer? Well, not just that, but we've asked our listeners, why do you listen to us? <laughs> yeah, we're assholes. No, think about this. We've never, we don't do the weekly appeal where we beg people to, to give, rate and review us and do this and go out and retweet this. and do, but No, I, I, I don't do that. And the reason why is because to me, that's not what's important. What's important is having a fun conversation about something that I'm passionate about. And if I drink a 12-pack, well, I do it, so be it. Meats and above-ground pools? Sure. Why not? We'll throw those in there, too. I mean, I am from North Collins. Yeah, that is <laughs> that is true. But when it gets down to it, it's you people are a rare breed, and you're our people. That's it. I mean, Chris, I've been thinking about it all day. We're here, we're here for a good time. We're not here for a long time, right? Exactly. So if we were going to do something like this, why not do it the way we want to for the people who feel like showing up for it? So I, I'm always interested to hear why our listeners show up every week. This week, in our In Their Words segment, this, this comes from CCMK Sampson, known as Tanawanda Proud on Twitter, Chris. I've... <laughs> Never heard the the one thing Bills related and Tonawanda related that I can speak to is last year we were at a game and it might have been around this time because the fall had rolled in. There was a guy in the lower bowl in the in like the section in front of us. He was just openly wearing a Tonawanda bowling Letterman's jacket. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Like. Dude, it's yeah, proud. Yeah, I'm going to go out in public. I'm going to wear this Tonawanda bowling jacket. Well, I want to read this because it's one, like Justin's letter, that I read sometimes. Like today, when I'm on three hours of sleep because I have a baby who's teething. And I'm low energy and I don't know why I'm coming here to do this. Or I'm at least questioning it. I read this. He says, I was born and raised in Western New York, specifically Tonawanda, which is the deserving subject of your occasional liar, but was born a ready-made Bills fan. My grandparents on both sides, aunts, uncles, cousins, fathers, all Bills fans. My grandmother would scream for the Bills and then hit her oxygen tank. <laughs> Being a Bills fan was in my blood and I loved it. I moved from Western New York when I was 11 and haven't lived there since, but the Bills in Western New York have been a part of me ever since. I was there on my knees praying during Wide Right. I was there for the comeback. I was there for the BS Music City Miracle. I was there for the drought. I endured just like Bills fans everywhere and Western New Yorkers endured. That won't quit mentality. The seeming genetic kindness that is bred into all of us. I've carried it with me forever. I'm a Western New Yorker by birth, but everything great about the city is in my soul and every fiber of who I am. My mother was not a Bills fan. She would read on game days and ask if we won or lost. If we lost, she retired to her room to continue reading because she knew us five boys would be moody assholes. My mother was the embodiment of Buffalo. She loved, deeply cared about her neighbors, laughed at snow, was warm and infectious to be around, loved kids enough, <laughs> even after raising four terrors of boys to develop a career teaching them later in life. My mother suddenly passed away three years ago, and it hit me hard. My biggest fan was gone. 
listening to your show after her death gave me a semi sense of normalcy. It made me feel okay. <laughs> Hearing Nate's hot Brown's hot take was the first real laugh that first year without her. I'm just trying to say you guys affect people in ways you can't imagine. And I'm grateful for it. I'm forever a fan. CCMK Samson. Brother, hey, cheers we to you. We will raise a glass. I don't know how we can... I still don't know how we can have that impact on people. No, but you know what, Chris? This season, I felt it. Because not being able to be at the stadium, not being able to be there, I was thinking about it today. And we're going to expand on this later. Yeah, you have no idea what's coming. I just, I feel like we've lost something this season. Yes, it, it's the season is fantastic. It's going well for the Buffalo Bills. And yet, we've lost something in the sense that being at the stadium, that camaraderie, the, the, the fandom that we get to enjoy with the people who we, we talk to on a weekly basis, people from around the world, around the country, I miss that. It feels a little bit hollow without it. I think it's, I think what it's done is it's made me crabbier. It's made me more critic, it's made me more critical of the football team. It's led to more animosity not getting to see you and Potter every morning at 5 a.m. Even if I do bitch about it when you guys show up late. Even when I'm mad about it. This lack of normalcy and the loss of our season. I know there's bigger things going on in the world. And I swear to God, if you tweet at us about, whoa, there's this and that. that, that I understand. But this is such an important part of my life that not having it. Not getting to see Hugo Carmona from Portugal. Not having him here for this Patriots and uh, Seahawks game. Yeah. That sucks. Not getting to see him and talk to him and pick his brain about... Just to, just to see these people. Swenson not being able to come into the States from Australia. Yeah, that would have been fun to have uh, Hugo teach Jack how to salsa. The, <laughs> the normal game day traffic, the people we get to talk to and that we get to see and that we sit with. Dan, from my, the, your your bartender friend from oh, yeah, Mammosers. Yeah, Dan Kimball, who didn't, who forgot my name. <laughs> he knew you by face, though. Yeah, he knew me by face. And that's what's important, is because you get those, you get that camaraderie. Even if I don't know your name, I know you by face and we're friends. And I know that because I see you every Sunday out here. I feel like that's been taken from us this year, and it's made this season a little harder to swallow, so I apologize to you, and I apologize to all of our listeners if I seem like I'm a little more critical than I usually am or a little bit detached. I don't, I don't know what to call it, but it's things like this that keep me tethered to it. So, Samson, to you. Again, Chris, we raise a glass. And with that, we launch into our Week 9 recap. The Buffalo Bills, 44 to the Seahawks, 31. The stats of the game. Josh Allen, 31 of 38. 81% completion percentage, which is a career high. 415 yards, 3 touchdowns, no picks, 7 sacks, and a 138.5 QBR. Russell Wilson, 28 of 41. 68.2% 68.2% completion percentage, 390 yards, two touches, two picks, five sacks, 94.6 QBR. Russell's bad day. The second lowest completion percentage of the season. 
his lowest first down percentage of 32.6, five sacks, which is a season high, pressured on just 10% of all of his dropbacks, and four turnovers, a season high. The Bills passing attack. Diggs led all players with 12 targets. His 63 now in 2020 ties his entire 2019 target total in Minnesota. Three players, Beasley, Moss, and Singletary, 8 of 8, 104 yards, 6 first downs. And the Bills, plus 4, plus 4 minutes in time of possession, which is difficult to do when you don't run the football. Bills play calling. 38 pass attempts to 20 carries. Josh Allen, 2.0 yards per carry and a touch. The running backs were 1.6 yards per carry and a touch. Nine Moss carries to two Singletary carries. Wide receiver DK Metcalf, 7-9 for 108 and one touch. Stephon Diggs, 9-12 of for 118. And so as we launch into our recap of just what was probably one of the most exciting Bills games of the season, or at least one of the most qualifying Bills games of the season. We introduce tonight's guest, Mr. Nate Geary. Mr. Geary, this is one of the first times you've been on this show not in studio. It's weird. It's super weird. It's super covid um, Yeah, I was actually just looking through the screen and looking at the moose head uh, and, and just really kind of settling into a a full-on seasonal depression now that November's here. So, um, yeah, no, it's it's weird, fellas. But it's uh, at least at least I'm on. It's good to see you. I can see you just virtually. Uh, I I see that you're still rocking the mustache. I appreciate. I actually, it. just brought it back. It oh, just, you just wait. Is, you yeah. can grow it that quickly. Um, no, I mean this has been I'd say about 15 days in the making, just over two weeks in the making. Shut up. Get 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 away from me. I have. A little push broom mustache that takes me three months to grow, and it won't turn into a full goatee. It won't connect. Oh, the mine doesn't. I mean, but it almost—it's got that like—it's got that like 1980s Texas Ranger pitcher <laughs> feel to it. You know, like where it's got its own like it's got its own definition. What I love uh, about yeah, your... he could be a he could be a deputy for Chuck Norris. Yes, yeah, you could yeah. be his sidekick. Also, if someone came up to me and said, "Hey, Nate Geary." He he doesn't work in radio, or he does. He he's a NASCAR driver. I buy that too. I would totally understand looking at the facial hair. Or you could also sell used jet skis. There's a huge swath of opportunities that that facial hair opens up for you. <laughs> used jet skis is definitely a first for me. I've, I haven't heard that one before. So we're talking about Seattle versus Buffalo. It was probably the most resounding win of the Bills season. Huge rebound for the offense and Josh Allen. I mean, last week in our AFC's Roundup podcast, we handed out our second quarterly reports. And things were pretty sober over here as we were talking about the Buffalo Bills. October was the ugliest part of our 2020 Mm. season. Despite only losing two games, there was a lot of things that you were left walking away unsatisfied with. I mean, aversion to the run, even when the pass was struggling, quarterbacks trying to do too much, an offensive line that was in flux and questionable in execution. In this game, it seems like they kind of found an answer for all of the things that were ailing them at once, didn't it? I had been calling for get-right games for like four weeks. (laughs) I kept saying, well, we we looked at the Jets game, we're like, ah, finally, a get-right game for the offense. And then we said, uh, well, the Patriots, oh, my God, the defense is so shitty. Get-right game. And, you know, both games, 24 and 18 points later, 
um, you just kind of walk away feeling like, okay, I get it. You know, okay, Nate Geary and WGR telling me how I shouldn't worry too much because they still had 400 yards, but only 18 points and didn't punt the ball. So we should be happy, right? Like screw you, dude. Um, and you know, for me, it's like, uh, I don't know if you guys are big, uh, you know, Brooklyn nine, nine people, but vindication, you know, yes. like it was, um, and, and vindication for a lot of things. And yet it's funny because, you know, before we get on the show, we're kind of in just talking about how they're still not really getting the credit they deserve. Although, um, I think teams like the Kansas city chiefs, for instance, they get the benefit of the doubt they can have, and they'll tend to play down to their opponent because Let's face it, they're saving it for January, and they're maybe the only team in football that can save it for January. They get bored, I think, pretty genuinely when they're facing you know, good team or uh, bad teams, which is basically everybody but the top three or four teams. Everyone else is pretty bad compared to the Kansas City Chiefs. So they get the benefit of the doubt because they won a Super Bowl, they have an MVP, um, and they've got one of the greatest co- offensive minds of all time. So they get this benefit of the doubt that the Bills – have not earned they don't have the um you know they, they don't have the the investments and options um that a kansas city or a new england gets um because of the history of winning and the bills are always going to sort of be playing from this position of underdog or from behind or under talked about or undervalued or underappreciated because they're they spent two decades losing and sort of being the punchline of a lot of jokes um, because of, you know, the Super Bowl era. So there's just uh, this culmination of, I think a lot of that is why people, uh, the, this national narrative around Josh Allen, it's so puzzling. But yeah, no, it, this game in particular was a get right game. Um, and the kind of, where that conversation was going is it's just funny that um, even in a game like that, where the Bills decide they're going to throw the ball um, 28 times in the first half, um, okay, that's fine. Blame Seattle all you want. Well, how come no one else was smart enough to fucking do it? Thank like, you. how come no one else in the league? And and maybe the Bills have have put together a blueprint on how you can beat Seattle head to head. I think offensively and defensively. I think the defensively they put a model together on how you stop and slow down Russell Wilson. So it's just like to me, I don't get why the storyline of this game is well, how bad the Seattle D, the Seattle Seahawks. They're a Super Bowl contender, but and it's not well. The Bills had an impressive win against a really good team who couldn't play defense, mostly because your wide receivers are uncoverable. Yes, this is the thing that I want every Bills fan out there listening to this podcast to take home with you after tonight. In a game against a Seahawks team that had they gotten Sunday's result from the Seahawks in 2018 or 2019, those iterations of the Buffalo Bills team, those games would have turned into a track meet against Usain Bolt. That's what those games would have turned into. The 2020 Buffalo Bills just illustrated that not only was their success from early on in the season not a flash in the pan, but they showed off that they're now a multifaceted team that when they decide to move the ball through the air, they can do it in spades. I mean, I don't like the fact. I, I'm I'm a trenches guy. I like ground and pound. I like control the clock. It's part of the reason why I've fallen in love with this Alabama football uh, Alabama football in college. Because when you look at what that does for you, it lets you dictate the pace of play. I haven't in my adult life seen a team dictate the pace of play through the air like the Buffalo Bills did on Sunday. 
I mean, it's the it's the inverse of the same idea because yes. what it forces by you being efficient passing, you can force inefficient passing teams to move completely away from the run. It's exactly why it's the type of offense that I believe gives them an upper hand on the Baltimore Ravens. I genuinely hope the Bills get an opportunity to play the Baltimore Ravens because they're the one team outside of the Kansas City Chiefs that I think can get them get up in a game against them and just throw to Lobolivian. And it's the one way you can beat that defense because I don't think you can run against it, but teams, teams will try and have been trying, and it hasn't been working. And that's what you see this week against uh, Indianapolis. You know, they tried to run, and they couldn't run, and they couldn't pass. So yes. for the Bills, when you can dictate the pace of play through through throwing the football and getting scores and being able to put 40 points up on the board, it's why nobody talked about previously through the first eight weeks of the season, why nobody was talking about how terrible the Seahawks defense was. It was bad and it was giving up a lot of points, but the, but the Seahawks were six and one because they scored more points than everybody else. And that's how you sort of dictate pace. And you don't talk about a bad defense. The reason we were talking about this bills defense was because the offense stopped scoring. Otherwise it would be the same as the Seahawks as you would forget how bad the defense is because the offense is able to score so many points and, and, and play to the weaknesses of other offenses across the league. So in my opinion, be one of the few teams who have fully adopted this concept of we're going to throw the football to win. We're going to run air raid concepts. We're going to um, be able to and be comfortable throwing the football 28 out of 31 plays in the first half. Like those are things that you see in college in the Pac-12. You don't see that um, on an NFL gridiron. And I think for me, the last point to this is kudos to Sean McDermott for allowing this evolution to happen under his toolage, because this is just as much on Sean McDermott as it is on Brian Dable, who I know you haven't been the biggest fan of in the past. <laughs> I know I've criticized him. Everyone has given Brian Dable criticism. The thing that I think we can all appreciate about him is his evolution as a play caller, but you can't have Brian Dable in his current state without Sean McDermott completely changing his views, his opinions about how to win football games. And that is just as important as the plays that are being called for Brad Dable. What was your favorite part of the offensive attack? I mean, for me, here's what I looked at. Despite DK Metcalf being the talk of the NFL as far as wide receivers go, Stefan Diggs actually outshined him in terms of yardage, in terms of first downs, and ultimately on his overall impact on the game. I mean, there's a gross sequence. I I, oh, I got to go back to Twitter and find out who it's from. He breaks it down in film perfectly. But it's in the second quarter on his long gain where he comes across the formation from left to right and just throws a little bit of a hitch in his step, three yards from the line of scrimmage. And you watch the corner sit down flat-heeled. And then Diggs takes off. He's an elite talent at this, and he gets so much separation that Allen connects maybe eight yards downfield and it turns into a 21-yard gain. Easy. And he makes it look simple. I, I look at that and I say to myself, okay, he's just the most impressive player on the field. What was your favorite part of how they kind of how they crafted this attack through the air? So uh, it's it's a loaded question, Drew. But I know. <laughs> um, I'll, uh, this is where, and, and I did this probably 40 times during uh, my film breakdown with Josh Allen uh, with, with Eric Turner on cover one. So I'll do it again, and I'll keep the theme, and I'm going to talk about Brian Dable a lot. 
Um, and what I loved about the scheme is, you know, I, I think Gabriel Davis gives this team a lot of flexibility that they don't have that Duke Williams is there, um, or if Duke Williams is there, I'm sorry, because of his size, his athleticism, um, and some of his best routes are exactly the types of routes that you want in combination um, in the intermediate and deeper levels of the field with a Cole Beasley and a Stephon Diggs. One of the things Eric and I noticed this week is how tight to the formation they were able to get Stephon Diggs um, in several um, in several instances. And not only that, guys, but how many times that Brian Dable is totally cool with going back to the same play if it works. Um, I mean, you see offensive coordinators around the league with these um, McDonald's menu-sized you know, play call sheets, um, and sometimes you forget about going back to the things that work, and I think I appreciate that the most about Brian Dable is there were several concepts um, that they were able to really take advantage of, and when, for whatever reason, seeing the Seahawks run 30% man coverage against this Bills team is that's mind-boggling. That's lunacy. Man, and and I, all you had to do, they could use Google and found out that you shouldn't have run man <laughs> coverage against Josh Allen. Like, use Google, Pete. And, and after the game, Pete's saying, oh, man, you know, I definitely didn't think they were going to abandon the run. If they were going to run at us, we oh. had a damn good game plan. But, but Eric made this point, right? Eric made this point on the podcast about, and I don't want to give it all away, but Eric makes this great point about Dable, right? And, and kind of saying, or in, in this game plan in particular. But he, what Dable's able to do with manipulating who he gets and where, what matchups he gets – is the single biggest reason why they have they can have success. I mean, if you go into next gen stats and see the the routes and the areas of the routes that oh, Stephon Diggs runs, I look you at him. See him run everything from a step off of the tackle all the way to the numbers. So the versatility, the 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 the, the movement that they're able to do, and on one side in a trips formation, have Diggs as your inside receiver, Beasley to the middle, and then have John Brown on the outside. Well, you're talking about a really significant conflict you're creating for his own coverage because now they've got to worry about splitting the difference and maintaining gap into their zone integrity. So what I loved the most about it, um, about that passing performance, and what I've loved from what I've been seeing in 2020 in general from the offense, even when they, the points haven't been there, is, is Brian Dable's ability to call plays against defenses and press his finger on a wound area when he finds one and not giving up. Because you go around the league, I, I, would, I guarantee you I would put money on this that if and because I, frankly, I have facts to back this up is there were seven other offensive coordinators who had the opportunity to do what Brian Dable did last week and they didn't do it. Thank you. So Thank like, you. so for me, like this goes to find me the other 31 offensive coordinators in the league that would, that would feel confident enough to call 28 to three pass plays to run plays in a half in a game against a team where you want to keep Russell Wilson off the field. It's just guys, it's the game plan. I wish that we had seen against the Kansas city chiefs, Chris? but I, I understand the context of the weather in that game made it really difficult to do that. Um, but I, I, I digress. I, I, my, my point is, is it's Brian Dable, Brian Dable, Brian Dable. Okay. So Chris, how often on Sunday did you watch me almost throw a beer across my basement? All of the time. You were, you were, <laughs> Drew is easily the most negative person watching a Bills game when we have the lead end to end. Well, we talked about that a little bit. 
Some of it's just pressure. Some of it's just anxiety of me not being able to be at the stadium. Some of it's I'm with you, bud. frustration of me not being able to be there in my seat knowing I should be watching this game. I should be able to yell at the top of my lungs and impact this game. I, and I can't, and I'm watching an opposing team do things. But I'll say this to Nate's point, that play I was talking about, Stephon Diggs, he was on the inside of the formation when he ran it, which is... It's interesting that that's what another spot where they found a way for him to be him to be useful. And it's a wrinkle that they threw at the Seahawks that they had no answer for. One final thing before we move on from the offense for a second. Moss getting last year, you saw Devin Singletary Mm -hmm. about halfway through the season. And we've talked about this. We've tweeted about it before. We've made graphs because that's kind of our that's my thing. I make charts. And we tweet graphics of me with no shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> I take your yep. charts and I make them slight. Yeah. I take your charts and make them, make them a little more professional. So one of the things we talked about is how most rookies under Sean McDermott, unless there's a pressing need, they see their snap count ramp up about halfway through the season. Early season snaps versus late season snaps. So last year, Devin Singletary didn't really see a ton of run until about halfway through. And then he eventually took over the starting running back job from Frank Gore. We saw on Sunday, in terms of carries, in after a game where Devin Singletary was pretty efficient running the football. I mean, he was one of the more patient running backs in the NFL. Just given yard, time behind the line of scrimmage, but then positive yardage. He got two touches to Moss's nine. Does that, to you, signal a shift in the backfield here for Buffalo, or was that game-specific in your mind? Uh, Well, it's two weeks in a row, and they're two very different game plans, and you see a lot of Zach Moss. Um, I think think they like him as, and he made a couple of nice plays as a pass catcher um, this this past week on the sidelines, some nice tiptoe action. And um, I think also he brings a level of... I don't want to say he's that much different than Devin Singletary. He definitely does not possess the quickness and short field quickness um, that you see Devin Singletary have. I think that you're going to see a pretty, at the end of the year, um, likely not this year, but if it was a full season of Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, I think you'll see it very close to 50-50. I, I think that's and uh, that'll end up being uh, what we see at the end of the year. I, listen, Singletary is, I think, a guy that they're going to plan on utilizing between the 20s. Um, and then when you get down in the red zone area um, and even, even past the 50 um, is really where I think you want to get Zach Moss, where I think they like Zach Moss the most. Um, and, and not that Devin Singletary doesn't bring this, because I do de- think Devin Singletary has been a nice weapon for them in the past game. Um, this year, I mean, I think he's fourth in the team in receptions or fifth in the team in receptions. Um, and, and, and that's saying something for a roster that is going to be a packed stat sheet for, for, for pass catchers this, uh, this season based on the passing volumes we're seeing. But, um, I think ultimately, I think they like a lot what Zach Boss brings in the pass game, especially in the screen game, um, because of his, uh, ability to just kind of fall forward. But I, I, I think, Early on in the season, I was not sold that Zach Moss was going to be a guy that should be getting time. Uh, he just did not look explosive. He looked to nothing like the player 
um, that I heard so many people talk about as the, you know, the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year last year and this guy that um, was going to make defenders make business decisions. I mean, I saw none of that, I felt like, um, through the first couple of games and the injury happened and his first game back was a little slow. And then the last two games to me, He's really turned it on nicely, and I, I, I've, I've, I, that is more of the player from an explosiveness um, and effectiveness perspective um, that, that people talked about uh, coming out of Utah. Now, in a rare move for me, knowing that you'd be on the radio on Monday morning, you were going to be hosting with Jeremy White. I tuned into you on the Monday morning show to hear you two wax poetic about the Buffalo Bills. I don't listen to drive time sports radio. I don't. I listen to music. I listen to comedy podcasts. I listen to all kinds of things because I have to decompress from my just anxiety about sports. <laughs> I kind of my mania. But I listened and sure enough, you gave me some ammunition for tonight's show because I heard you and Jeremy talking about how anyone who had any criticism of Sunday's game was trying too hard. Do you still stand by that? That anyone who has a criticism is trying too hard? Um, yeah, probably because I, I think genuinely speaking, um, I went into that game and listen, I mean, maybe people won't feel the same way about this that I do. Um, but I wanted to see a certain thing. Um, I didn't think I was going to see that thing and they did that thing. So for me, I'm, I can overlook just about anything from this game because they won the way that I thought. And, and listen, guys, at the end of the day, I don't know more than Brian Dable. I don't know more than this coaching staff and I'll never say that I will. And nobody would even agree with it if I did say it. But what I am saying is, is there is a level of common sense sometimes to the game of football. Sometimes we forget it's a game um, and it's more like, you know, chess than checkers. But I, I, when we look at it and from the perspective of what they do week in and week out, like it's hard for me to look at what they did in that game, knowing that, I just wanted them to go. I wanted it to be Allen versus Wilson. And it finally turned out to be Allen versus Wilson instead. Of, like it wasn't uh, Allen versus Mahomes. This was far more gratifying for me to watch the way that they won. So for me, it's like, it's hard. You're going to really have to have to convince me otherwise to, to find an area to be picky about it. Okay. So knowing that Chris watches these games with me and hears how harshly I criticize certain things. There was a period of this game where I just went on a drunken diatribe about how this was the Rams game all over again. But follow me here through mm. this. I've sent you, as I have a pension for, a chart. <laughs> I have all of these plays charted out, play Got for play open. for play. And you have it open in front of you. So the first half drive, you're talking second quarter, things are winding down. You're The Buffalo Bills leading 24-10. They get down and they just have a shoddy play designs knowing that they have to get up the field quickly. I mean, it's a deep right pass to Cole Beasley, who he completes it. Then he completes it to Stephon Diggs for six yards. So okay. now you're sitting here. It's second down, four to go. You're at the Seattle 42. They take a timeout. Josh Allen gets sacked. <laughs> he gets sacked. Now you're looking at it and you go, okay, we have four seconds. We're going to kick a 61-yard field goal. He damn near fucking made it. I know. I know. He but had the dis I, I said this to Sale on the halftime, uh, on the halftime show. It's my first question. I was like, Sale, you were close. You're, you're not on the field, but you're there. 
it looked like from the broadcast angle that he would have been good from 70. Like, that's how how far he kicked that field goal. He goes, I don't know about 70, but he was good for five or six more yards, no question. Okay. So now you're going into the second half, the third quarter, which is mm. has it's been the Bills' Achilles heel, mm. right? Everyone bitches about the third quarter. And I, my eyes immediately go to red zone play calling. The Bills get down there. Josh Allen, complete deep right to Gabe Davis, 39 yards. Puts you right at the doorstep. Devin Singletary goes for negative one yards. Josh Allen completes a screen pass that he shouldn't have because the play... When you set up like a satellite, it did get like, tipped too. That you, ball got tipped as it as it went to John Brown, which I, also I understand. But also, you told the defense what you were doing on that screen pass. You lined up three wide receivers in front in a diamond formation with one behind them. Everyone knows that's a screen pass. Those defensive players get paid too. So now it's a, a one yard loss, a two yard loss. And then Josh Allen, he throws it left to John Brown. He misses. You settle for a field goal. Now it's 27 10. Mm-hmm. Okay. Seattle driving. I, I knew that. that was a big moment in the game, too, by the way. It was a I, huge I, I, moment in the game. It was. And, and my preaching of do not settle for field goals, um, that, that one was definitely, I felt, I watched it and I was like, this feels like they're going to regret this field goal. It just felt like that when they when they kicked it. But go ahead. Seattle goes down the field and scores. Now it's 17-27. Now it's a 10-point game. You need a response drive. And instead what you get is a quick three and out mm-hmm. against straight out blitzes and you as an offensive coordinator don't give Josh Allen any blitz beaters. You know what I'm talking about. Quick yeah, but routes. you know what? Let, let. Let me say this is it was a big adjustment from the first half to the second half was they blitzed basically. So everyone (laughs) cover zero by the time based on the game plan, by the time they got to the end of the first half, the bills had basically seen every coverage that the Seahawks were willing to run that day. So you knew coverage wise going into the second half, if you're Pete Carroll and you're, you're, you're Norton, you're saying to yourself, they know they they our cards are on the table. They know everything that we could possibly run coverage-wise at them has been run and it's failed. So what do we do now? And it's let's blitz the ever-living shit out of them. And they did that and they found some success with bringing Jamal Adams down in the box. Now it came back to haunt them later on in the second half when Jamal Adams was was tasked with with covering people. Um, but there was that that series and the series prior. Um, or the series after that too, I thought they struggled to adjust. It took them a drive to adjust to the aggressiveness that um, that, that Seattle was bringing. So I, although I agree with you, that was an important part of the game. You cannot go three and out there. They did make a, an, an adjustment and an adjustment that was an incredibly aggressive one. And, you know, the good news is, is they did respond and they adjusted to the adjustment. And they responded because as I've charted and is laid out in front of you, it's the end of the third quarter going into the fourth. Again, it's like, hey, it's almost like you're talking to the Incredible Hulk and you're like, hey, sun's going down, buddy. The sun is going down. You just need to calm down, settle in. You're going to be fine. Jason Myers kicks it off. Allen goes short to Zach Moss for 20 yards. Short for 20 yards. With a minute left in the third, Allen kind of runs away from pressure and gets two yards. 
Then 35 seconds left in the third quarter, but you dialed up another short route in the face of the blitz that they've been sending that all of a sudden stymied the Bills offense. Stephon Diggs for 25 yards. Now you get into the fourth quarter, which is where Chris, Josh Allen, fourth quarter quarterback. Yeah, he's really good in the fourth. Really good. But the play calling was on point. He gets sacked by Jamal Adams for a five-yard loss. Then there's a penalty on Ike Bakker. Josh Allen completes it for 11 yards of digs. And then there's the, we get bailed out on third and nine by a penalty. (laughs) Thank God for the illegal contact penalty, because if not, that's a punt. That's another punt. But we do. Immediately afterwards, Zach Moss loses six yards. Josh Allen incomplete. So now you're looking at third and 16. Again, you're behind the sticks and you're trying to figure out how to get going. You finally dial up a blitz beater. You dial up a blitz beater to one of your best players. Uh, 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 uh. Time out. They did not dial up a blitz beater. Josh Allen checked to a blitz beater on the play. So okay, so is that is that the nuance that I'm missing here? Is the drunken at home screaming at the TV fan? So at the line of scrimmage, they see that they've got zero. They've got zero blitz coming. And if you looked at the outs at at the guy that was over the top of John Brown on the play, because it was third and sixteen, he was off coverage like twelve yards from John Brown. Literally, guys, as Josh Allen checks to the play, gets the ball, tosses it out. He makes the catch, and on film, you watch his Chad Hall, his wide receiver coach, who's right behind John Brown, put his arms in the air like touchdown when he catches <laughs> the ball. They know that he's gone on the play. And, and, and Allen, like probably 15 yards upfield um, before he gets in, and crosses the face of Ike Butker, which ends up stumbling him, like Allen's arms are up. So it was just such a – that sequence – um, listen, that was a pivotal moment in the game. I mean, the absolute, in my opinion, deciding factor. And you can forget that at one point, because it never felt like they were getting close, except for that moment. Like that moment on third and 16, you're thinking, man, they're in a weird spot. Are they going to try to kick a field goal here if they get this incomplete? Uh, are they going to punt it here? So there, a lot of things can, can, can happen in that moment. And the fact that it was Josh Allen, in that moment, checking to the play that completely changed the game, to me, um, is, it's pretty awesome. And so you just underscored my point, though, because here you guys are pontificating about how it, you're working pretty hard to find a nitpick. I'll tell you this. Listen to the scoring during those phases. That's literally where the game hung in the balance, and it could have very easily gotten away from us. The game was a well-called one. I mean, ESPN Dan, ESPN's Dan Orlovsky called it a quote-unquote total coaching beatdown by Dable and Frazier on Norton and Schottenheimer. But there was absolutely a period of time there where against an elite offense, we left the door wide open for them just by failing to make adjustments in the third quarter. Can I at least, as a Bills fan, because I'm, I'm, I'm getting really tired of this thing where the, the smart people... Chris, we always talk about the smart people. Yeah. Okay. I'm not smart. I'm a fan. I'm a well-read, sometimes I know what I'm talking about fan, who I'm sick and tired of people telling me that I have to be pragmatic and that I have to take the good with the bad. No, I don't. I don't have to do anything. I'll bite the neck off this bottle right now. There's no one here to stop me. (laughs) 
So with that said, I can criticize Dable's inability to craft a quality game plan in the third when other teams make adjustments. Is that fair? They do struggle with these adjustments in the third quarter. It's my biggest anxiety when they go to half is can they find a way to just maintain what they were doing in the first half. And I, this, this week, um, last week against the, the Patriots, same thing. It, it, it's a definite concern for me. It's their bugaboo right now. Um, and here's the good news, guys. I said in pregame that the Bills had yet to put together a complete three-phase football game where they got contributions from special teams, defense, and offense. It had either been all offense or nothing. Um, or all off- offense with some pl- splashes of special teams. From the very kickoff, you you kind of realize that this might round out to be one of those games where you get you get it from both sides. The interesting part about it is for, for the offense in the third quarter, um, it sort of felt like everything stopped, right? It's, it seems like everything sort of was going out the wayside, and you're right. It did have reminiscent feelings of that Rams game, but I, I – you make a play, right? And, and all it takes is one play to completely change that game. And it's the John Brown play on third and 16. But when you think about this game and, and the context of it and the 44 to 34 score, man, you don't think at all about that, that third quarter stretch. And it, that third quarter, I, where I was going with the previous point, though, is that I think we're still not at the point where we've seen this team's full ceiling, where they play a complete four-quarter game and get all three phases. So now that's going to be my thing is let's see a complete fourth quarter game because if they can, the good news is they're seven and two. They finally have a signature win and they've got some games against some pretty nicked up opponents coming up here. If you can put together a four quarter performance and you haven't done it yet and you're seven and two and you've got a, a month and a half to, to do that, they, what they sort of remind me of is a better coached version of last year's Tennessee Titans because that Tennessee Titans beginning of the season with Mariota, blah, 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 blah. They, the bills had, instead of losing those games, the bills won a lot of close games to start the season. I think they could get into a stride. I think this, this Seahawks game has probably given them the type of confidence they needed that they could finally, they could beat somebody. They could beat a good team because they hadn't done it under McDermott. So now that they have, they know they got the horses to beat a good team. Maybe this is the time where they, they get into that, that little, that little uh, I don't know, it was the little groove that Tennessee got into right around December, mid-November into December, where they just went on the run and they became the hottest team in football and they beat all of the best teams in the AFC to get to the AFC championship game. Like, the Bills could see themselves on a similar path because they're a team right now that's winning football games, leading their division, second in the conference, and they have not played a full four-quarter game. And you can't really say that about teams like the Chiefs or um, the Steelers because I think they have done that before. And I think we know how good those teams ultimately are. I still think the verdict's out about just how good and how potentially good the Bills could be. So switching sides of the football, adjustments getting back on track with things that even the most curmudgeonly Bills fans can't criticize. The game plan and adjustments made from last week to this one is this not the biggest switch from week to week that you've seen from the Buffalo Bills on a single side of the ball in the last decade? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, maybe that's hyperbole. Yeah, it's right. It's when I see how this team. I mean, when you look at the scoreboard, 
Despite the final score, I think this might be the most impressive game our defense has played all season. Tremaine Edmonds, uh, I mean, AJ Klein plays like absolutely out of his GD mind. Well, look at um, this. Six pass breakups, a season high for this defense in a single game. The most quarterback knockdowns in a single game in 2020. Russ has some of his worst stats of the season, as we talked about at the top of the show. First time all season, the Seahawks have had four turnovers in a single game. I mean, Leslie Frazier, this was a vintage Buffalo Bills performance. And I'll I'll say, if anything, that's the thing that saved the day. In terms of game plan, what was your favorite part of the way Leslie Frazier decided to attack what is essentially the most electric offense? They were the greatest show on turf for the 2020 NFL. And the Buffalo Bills defense found a way to make them struggle. Yeah, I think, too, I I think Leslie Frazier in general did a better job putting his guys in positions um, to succeed. I think the last couple weeks, A.J. Klein's been asked to do a lot of things that, frankly, he's just not capable of doing. Um, And today or on Sunday, um, I thought the Bills did a better job of getting him on the edge and blitzing packages, um, getting him after the passer. I thought they played maybe their most aggressive game plan of the season. Um, I'd l- like to see them do that more against good quarterbacks. I think the the idea that you know Patrick Mahomes can't get rattled, um, I think it, as much as that's probably true for you know 90% of the time, um, you're certainly not going to rattle him by you know rushing three and dropping back eight. Um, because he knows how to beat that. He'll, he'll just move around until guys find their way open. So what's the inverse of that is, is getting after quarterbacks and, and, and forcing them, listen, everybody's passing numbers. It doesn't matter who it is go are not as good in a clean pocket as they are under pressure. No. So, and so, and a lot of teams right now in the NFL are finding just how, how difficult it is and can be to get to the quarterback with four. And of course, that was the Giants game plan against Brady. And yeah, sure, in theory, that's what everybody wants. But it's not something that's necessarily sustainable week to week. No. So you need to be able to call effective game plans in terms of blitz and, and pressure packages. And I think part of one of the reasons that I think the Bills really do miss Lorenzo Alexander so much um, is because they they lost the versatility as as you know a team that could that could drop but also blitz and they don't really have that versatility but we saw what AJ Klein can do which I think he is pretty <laughs> effective when he gets after the quarterback um, but yeah you know I, and 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 truthfully on top of that um, I thought they did a great job of of switching up their looks against um, against Metcalf and Lockett I think Metcalf and Lockett uh, combined end with twelve or eleven catches for 148 yards and a score and if I gave that to you. Um, before the game, if I said that's that's what the Bills would hold them to, what do you think is going to happen? I said I would have said the Bills would have won by two touchdowns. Most people would so, take that result because yeah. it's it, Travers Metcalf was one of the most interesting matchups of the day. But but what I loved and cover one, Eric Turner has a great series of examples. I tweeted it out with a Ron Burgundy gif of him having an erection because he gave some great examples of circa. I, 2019 in their prime safety play. The safeties in this game were electric. The linebackers in coverage were electric. I mean, you saw switching from single high pre-snap looks to two deep, forcing Wilson to change kind of the frame of things in the middle of a play where, oh, by the way, we're going to blitz. Oh, by the way, we're going to time a blitz here. So now you don't know what you're looking at, and also you have... Two seconds, two and a half to figure it out. Good luck. 
you saw that take its toll. I, I think that as a fan, the the best was some of the players who've taken the biggest beating by us as fans step to the forefront. And and that's kind of what I want to go around the table right now and talk about. First of all, Chris, which defensive player stuck out most to you? How could it not be AJ Klein? Get a strip sack fumble. Get another sack. He's, it, are, are, he's just making right. plays. Everyone loves AJ Klein. What, what about you, sir? You, if you had somebody other than AJ Klein, who would you peg as the most surprising or at least a performance on defense that stood out to you singularly? Uh, Levi Wallace. Said no one ever. You said you said find somebody. Didn't you say obscure? Yes. Find oh, somebody. Well, how about this? Jerry Hughes. Well, he's My, their best defense. He's their best player defensively. He's the best player defensively. Of, how about the Rick James play? That's what I'm calling it. Because when Russell Wilson drops back to pass on fourth and goal, he's assuming, hey, I see a defensive end. He's going to sack me, or at least he's going to attempt. And when he does, I'm going to juke him, and I'm going to run away and buy more time until one of my guys breaks open. And instead, Jerry, Jerry Hughes turns around and decides to play low post defense in basketball. He puts both hands up and says, nah, I got you, bitch. You can't do anything. And you watch Wilson throw a pick, an ugly pick, into, into obvious coverage. Mm-hmm. When that happened, what was going through your head? Uh, on the interception? Yeah. Um, I thought, well, first of all, it was an unbelievable play and, and, and understanding from Trey Wood. I mean, just what absolute instincts. Um, and, you know, I, at that point, that, that's when the Bills go up two scores. Seattle's pressing. Um, Seattle's, you know, uh, Russell Wilson's playing hero ball. He's trying to make a play. Um, and his offensive line isn't doing diddly shit to protect him. So, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, um, it was a bit of a force in that situation. But, uh, like, instinctual, instinctually, um, that was such an impressive play from Trey White. Trey White's pick was a thing of beauty, and I love that we got to see a vintage Trey White performance. Chris, coming into this game, we were worried about how the Bills would stack up against a wide receiver like DK Metcalf. Guess what? We just took on Jaws. The Buffalo Bills defense came into this game looking like the cast of Jaws, trying to take on this wide receiver who sank everyone's boat. And at the same time, White played a hell of a game. White allowed no touchdowns, despite covering DK Metcalf for most of the game. And then I think my favorite play of his might have been the one where he just said, fuck it. <laughs> he just got flagged for pass interference. Doesn't care. They, they give him the yardage. They go back to the well and they throw it on the left sideline. And... Trey, he has Trey White by what? Maybe two, three steps? And White goes, you know what? I'm not even playing the ball. Before the ball gets here, I'm going to grab you and drag you to the ground. <laughs> because he knows the only thing they can do is flag me again. Fuck you. They're not going to give you the touchdown, which you're absolutely going to get if I don't. That's the type of play you want to see from your all-pro cornerback. That's it. Yeah, and you knew that DK Metcalf was going to get his in the game, right? Like yes. you weren't going to hold him to no catches. So you know, pick your shots. And I thought, you know, I think for the most part, the Bills defense did a great job covering those two. But as is customary, we have to give out awards. And as you two both keep pointing out and trying to shove down my throat, the hero of the game is linebacker AJ Klein. 
Here's the deal, I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a, just a big, hairy American winning machine. This guy has taken a beating from this fan base, mostly by me. I, I'll, I'll say I was the conductor of the I Hate AJ Klein train pretty much since week two. I actually compared him to, I said in past coverage, I would trust Chris with his thrown out lower back with a butterfly net more than I trust AJ Klein. Which I think is fair criticism because he was terrible. He's a Sam linebacker by physical makeup and just by what he's done. He wasn't supposed to be replacing Milano. Can you agree with me on that, Nate? Yeah, 100%. 100%. He wasn't supposed to be replacing Milano. And that's not the position that they brought him in for anyways. Thank you. He's playing out of position. A A gross number of his snaps. And the results are what you would expect. He's, he has the 22nd, uh, what, coming into this weekend, he was the, had the 22nd, uh, 22% missed tackle rate entering week nine, one of the highest for any non-defensive back in the NFL. And despite 21 blitz attempts, he only had three pressures and half a sack to show for it. He had a real limit of physicality. He was a liability in terms of taking good angles of the football on ball carriers out of the backfield. So Sunday... The game starts, and you watch DJ Dallas for Seattle take off, beat him to the edge, and Tremaine Edmonds has to come over the back of him to make the tackle eight yards downfield. And I start in on this guy. I ripped him. I mocked him to people who know him. At one point, I got a legitimate giggle out of Cover One's Greg Thompson when I said that he spends more time flailing helplessly in space than Sandra Bullock in the movie Gravity. And yet it was and yet it was Klein who has the last laugh as he goes on to have his best game in a Bills, maybe his best game as a pro football player. A tackle for a loss and another for zero yards that forces the fourth and goal where Poyer gets his interception in the end zone. A pass breakup, which is shocking considering he's a massive liability down the field. There's a play where Chris, remember when he's covering uh what is it, David Moore? Or no, who's the other one? Tyler Lockett. He's covering Tyler Lockett down the left sideline. And I go, who the fuck is this guy? Where did you find the the doppelganger who's now taken the spot of A.J. Klein? And then he has two sacks, including the strip sack fumble recovery. I'm not a pro football focus guy, but they graded him as Buffalo's best player of the day with a 90 overall score. The question becomes... How much of the play that we've criticized has actually been his fault? Now that we've seen him be what he has been when he's put in a role to succeed, put in something some, he's comfortable in. Some yes, some no. I, you know, I think a lot of it isn't his fault. I think it's just an it's circumstance. But at the end of the day, you know, nobody cares about your feelings or where you <laughs> what you were supposed to do in the NFL. You know, so um, I think he's been a, a victim of circumstance for uh, for a large part, but. You know, he's been playing better, I think. Um, and obviously we saw the culmination of that, in that, especially in that second half where um, he really he really brought it to the, um, to, to, to the Seahawks offensive line, who, by the way, is also not good. <laughs> no, they're not. And normally, I, and folks, I have to, I've been heavy-handed with my criticism about him. I, that's where I fucked up here. Letting my emotions take over what I was seeing on the field. And Chris... 
you loved every second of it, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, it's, I mean, I, I don't get you watching the bill. Like, I think part of me in your brain, because of what you've had to witness for the last, you know, 20 years, you just think that that's going to happen over and over again. It's like, oh, okay, we got a two-score lead in the second half. That's not going to last long. Because it's, it started to evaporate. Yeah. It's, it starts, started to evaporate. It's, yeah, and they bring it into seven. You're like, all right, this is where we just lose the game like we've been doing the last 20 years as a franchise. Things kind of changed. <sighs> and then normally this is where we give our zero of the game, but instead mm. I'm going to give away a second hero ball, and I think that goes to Josh Allen. Do you know who the real heroes are? The guys who wake up every morning and go into their normal jobs and get a distress call from the commissioner and take off their glasses and change into capes and fly around fighting crime. Josh Allen might as well be Batman here in Buffalo. I mean, I, I, I don't know what else he's... He, well, I don't know what he can't do. I don't want to doubt him. I mean, he was everything in this game. Hyper accurate, aggressive when throwing downfield, calm and muddy pockets, especially when he was under duress, even if he did get a little greedy. He made throws, not... This is what I want to pick your brain about for a second. Awkward angles. I saw at least two or three sidearm completions. I saw some three-quarter delivery. He, it's like he's a pitcher who all of a sudden has a full arsenal of throws. What, what did you see from Josh Allen this weekend? Confidence. Um, but yeah, the off-platform stuff. I was talking with, about this with, uh, with Eric. On those screen passes... Um, he has found a really nice little uh, package of, of platforms that he's using for those to get rid of them quickly and accurately. Um, so that that's really nice to see because those weren't things he did particularly well in college, throwing those those um, those quick screen or, or, or bubble pass plays, uh, slip screens or bubble passes. Um, he didn't throw those particularly well or accurate. So um, that, that's been a, a pleasant turnaround. I think he's found a nice little niche. Um, on how to get the ball out there accurately. But, yeah, no, uh, the, the presence in the pocket point is, is I think, a really – there's a couple of really good examples of him just – like he knows and he feels the pocket around him, and he's able to just find passing lanes. And in years past, he's not moving in the pocket to find passing lanes. He's moving in the pocket to, to take off and run. Um, and I, for one, am I'm loving – the only reason that I wanted Josh Allen to continue to run with the volume paces that he was running at in his first two seasons was because I didn't think he could take the steps he's taken as a passer. Now that he's proven um, that he could single-handedly beat you with his, his arm, um, the legs become that much more valuable when, when you have such a potent weapon like his, like his arm is right now. He had the type of game that, even with his dubious October stretch, has reignited some of that MVP buzz that we heard about in September. He's now past Russell Wilson in passing yards. He's climbing towards the top of the NFL. <sighs> he has that game, Chris. We we celebrate it. We move on with our lives. And then the game ends and the coaches start talking to the media. And you find out that Josh Allen lost someone incredibly close to him the night before the game. That he was literally clinging to his offensive coordinator in the locker room with tears in his eyes after the game. But went out onto the field and gave the, our team everything he had for four quarters. That's my quarterback. Yeah. I mean, for a young guy, that's the type of composure you wouldn't expect to see. I mean, veteran, there's some veteran players who have missed games for things similar. And yet, Josh Allen 
said, this is what I want to do. I want to go out here. I have a story. My wife, her friend Ryan, he's a pilot. He started as a test pilot. Think about that. He was a test pilot for the military, testing experimental jets. He finally decided, hey, I want to spend more time. I want to be closer to my son. She grew up in Rochester, Pittsburgh. So he kind of moved, he's gravitated back, and he becomes a pilot for a major commercial airline. And he's flying the jet, and he kind of gets an alert from one of his stewardesses that, hey, there's this old couple in first class, and it's their first flight ever. It's the first time they've ever sat in first class since the first time they've ever been in an airplane. So he says to himself, okay, cool. I've got a co-pilot. I'll put this thing on autopilot, and I'll come back, and I'll introduce myself as the captain of the airplane. And he does. And it's this older couple who they seem very friendly. They're talking about how they're from California and how they've never been on an airplane before and how they're going to Buffalo to watch their grandson play football. And then through the course of the conversation, it comes out that their grandson is Josh Allen. And that's the reason that they're sitting in first class on their first flight to Buffalo ever. Oh, no kidding. And when the plane lands, like, they're obviously like, oh, my God, you're Josh Allen's grandparents. This is and they try to get their bags. And his grandfather and grandmother made a point of being like, no, 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 you don't touch our bags. We we, we, we will get these, our carry-ons. We'll, we'll get all the stuff ourselves because that's just who they are. They've never been on an airplane. They don't understand that, hey, if you sit up here in first class, people will do everything for you. They don't understand, hey, you're flying into the city where your grandson is essentially, this is 2019. Your grandson is essentially a hero here already. He's a god, yeah. They don't understand any of that. What they know is that we're going to carry our own bags off of this airplane. I want to tell that story because it speaks to the type of hardworking, blue-collar, and just unassuming cloth that Josh Allen gets cut from. You said it earlier. Josh Allen doesn't... He doesn't talk out of school. He doesn't say outlandish things. He's simple. He just says things. He says things. He almost sounds like Sean McDermott Light. But I don't think that growing up in a rural community and knowing people like that, it's not disingenuous. And it's not like he's trying to hide anything or not say anything. It's just genuinely how he feels. He'll tell you what he thinks. It shouldn't come as a surprise that according to McDermott, knowing that that's the background he comes from, that he wasn't going to be deterred and that he wanted to get out there and play through that. And in the process, had what might be the most complete and dominant performance of his career. I mean, he set the record for the most yardage in a single half for any quarterback. I just, you you played the game of football, Nate. How important was that to your life, just in general? Like yeah. the lessons you learned from that, how important was it to who you are today? Every, pretty much everything. Yeah. I mean, it's huge, hugely impactful. Okay. Um, and, and I mean, for Alan too, it's Alan, Alan, that's why, again, you know, we started the show. It was like, I'm just, I'm, that's why I'm so confused about some of the hate on him. He's just such a great guy. Great. Just, he's just such a likable person. It's so, it's so weird how many people just like genuinely don't like him and hate him. It blows my mind, but with that in mind, his performance 
is one that I look forward to. His Sunday, that game, I'm going to have that. And I'm going to, I look forward to explaining that to my son when he's old enough to understand it all. Because it's one of those teaching moments about toughness and about life that I think gets lost in a lot of what this sport is. And for that, he, Chris, we've never given out two game balls in one week, but you have to do it for that. Exactly. Now, speaking of game balls, not, I mean, not really. Nate, I'm going to leave this one uh, up to you. Uh, last week, I picked Seattle to win this game. So, mm. Nate, you know what I have to drink, and I'm asking you to choose the flavor. Calypso. Calypso, you got Oh, coconut flavor. Awesome. Boom, right here. That's the worst kind. Oh, dude, it's like It's someone, actually your favorite kind. It's my favorite, but I said it was like someone took a took a coconut, rubbed it on a cold shovel, and then hit you in the face with it. Like it's not good. This mm-hmm. Sunday changed the way that I look at Buffalo Bills football for this season. It really did. I mean, I need to relax. I need to enjoy it more. I need to to my I'm the guy who's over here talking about embracing the anxiety that comes from rooting for a winning football team. But I can't do it. I can't do it. I think part of it's the anxiety of knowing that I should have been there at that game. We should have been there at that game. Yeah, it kind of sucks not being able to go to games, but it is what it is. Chris, you've said multiple times in this podcast, you've alluded to it, but you've talked about it in front of people we actually watch the games with. How being around me on game day this year has been one of the more negative experiences of your life. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 different when we're losing because you're like, oh, this is just this is the last 20 years. I'm used to this. Now we're winning and you're expecting the bottom to come out. But it's not. We're good. Brandon Bean's built a winner. Sean McDermott's changed the culture. Reed Ferguson has changed the culture. I guess I had a firm grip on things when I had no expectations for the Buffalo Bills. And somewhere around the Rams game, I lost it. But after seeing so many of the things I've researched and pointed out to you guys as listeners... The way Allen has transcended the mistakes of his past and the fact that he's healthy, he's braceless, and he now has a full complement of weapons at his disposal. The fact that I've been telling anyone who would listen that the bones of the defense of the past are still here, which is why at the trade deadline we didn't need to do anything. I talked about embracing tough, meaningful moments. I need to get back to believing that that's possible. Also, I need to stop being so hard on you. You specifically, Chris. Is this in relation to watching the game or yeah. what we're doing right watching now? Watching football with me. It's not easy. No. And it's even harder than you it's to fun. sit here for hours and do podcasts with me. Well, it's fun for our listeners that follow us on Twitter because when you when I when I feel you getting loose. I just pull out that telephone and press record, and then I get a GIF. I get a, I get a gem of a GIF. Now, Chris, because I'm a man, and because you know me, how often do I, Chris? I I say what I mean, right? 
Yeah, that's what most people should like about you. How often do you ever hear me apologize for anything? I shouldn't expect you to apologize for anything. I wouldn't apologize for anything. I because say, I don't care about other people's feelings. Exactly. And I say what I mean 98% of the time. Whether it hurts people's feelings or not. With that said, I'm willing to admit that I'm sorry I've made this year so hard on you. We have a pulling out a paper bag. Is that a bottle of Philadelphia? This is how friends say that they're sorry. Okay? It's not Do with a to- hug. It's not with a physical expression. Because, listen, we, we don't do that. No. I mean, I have seen you cry on the show, so. Woodford, As a man, I bring you a bottle of bourbon. Woodford Reserve. Yeah. It's pretty decent sipping bourbon. All right. As I you want can, you to open. As, as you can see here, I have my sipping ice. Yes. I want you to make yourself a glass. And while we talk about this, I have been a bad friend to you throughout the course of this season to this point. I've been a bad, I don't even know what you want to call it. Season ticket holder, friend, partner, whatever you want to say. I've done you a disservice. Because I've gotten my head so caught up in this idea that I guess I've taken my frustration out on the fact that the Bills, we can't be at the stadium. And I watch these games and I see where, hey, here if we were being loud and if we were bringing the ruckus, we could impact this football game and we can't. And then I watch the other team come back. I take that out on you. I lash out. Okay. You just, you're just explaining to me why you've been a bad friend. Now explain to me when you've been a good friend. (laughs) The day that I bought my truck and you called me from your car to say that you were driving around drinking Maker's Mark because you found out your wife was cheating on you. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. And I said, honey, I know you're getting ready to go out to dinner, but pack it in because Chris is coming to our house. And she goes, What should I do? And I said, you should order a pizza and wings and then get the fuck out because Chris and I need to hang out. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. You know what else I do? Because contrary to popular belief, I care about what happens to you. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll cheers. And then I'll (laughs) ask you, uh, where were you when I had to move in here? I think I kind of, I think I gave like a soft offer to help you move your shit in. Now the I I had my friend Pat help me move in, which he was like I had to. If there's one thing that I'm really good at, it's fucking moving. I'm amazing at moving. So you, when you call that one buddy that has a truck, and it's hey, I need you to help me move. He, you, I could hear him on the phone because like that's something you call somebody for. Yeah. I could hear him on the phone, like. Like oh, I don't want. I'm like no, no. Trust me, dude. I got this. I got this shit locked and loaded. Think about Kyle Trimble yeah. from Banged Up Bills. We moved him. No, this was way easier than that. Thank God. I had everything. I was he like came over and I was like everything in this upstairs room, in the truck done. We I think we did it in one trip. He helped me move everything in here and then it, and then he was out. Like my desk. My desk was helped uh, by my ex-father-in-law. That's where that's a, that's how. That's how you know you're not the party in the wrong is when your ex-father-in-law is helping you move into your new apartment. Yeah, that was the only thing he helped me with. 
Chris, ultimately, I'm this week was a massive step forward for me as a fan. And I'm sorry that my vitriol towards everything that's been going on has been taken away from your enjoyment of the football game. It doesn't because I just record you and I make <laughs> gifts. That's the fun for me is like, oh, look, Drew's losing it. Time to make a gift. With that said, I love you, brother. I love this football team, and I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly happy about where we are and what the outlook for this team is going forward. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's it's Blue Wire, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And that, folks, brings us to our Week 10 preview. The Buffalo Bills versus the Arizona Cardinals. The time, 4.05 p.m. Eastern Standard, which is weird. The place, State Farm, State Farm Stadium, Phoenix, Arizona. On the call is Ian Eagle. Charles Davis. Charles Davis. And the line for the game is the Bills plus two and a half, which means we're not quite the traditional road dogs that most people are, Chris. What do you think of that now that you're a gambling man? Yeah, I know. Uh, Seeing just right now looking at this rundown that you have graciously made, when I see Buffalo Bills and Arizona Cardinals in the same sentence, I think of Trent Edwards. (laughs) I'm sorry. God, that, that's just like. Are you speaking? How dare you? I how dare you that, speak that into existence? That's what my. That's br- the play that we. It's like Voldemort. We <laughs> shall. The play that shall not be named. That just. Jesus Christ. That just re- I see Buffalo. What are you doing? I see Buffalo, Arizona in the same sentence. I, that's what I see. Trent Edwards getting destroyed and his career effectively ending. Here's what I see. I see me in my ex-girlfriend's apartment above the Fireside Inn in Lancaster on Central Avenue. I see 
I see Chandler Cantanzaro, their kicker at the time. He had just nailed the 65-yard field goal to tie the football game. And now the the Bills and Bills Cardinals in Arizona, the Bills go 3 and out. They punt. Now, after just hitting a 65-yarder, Cantanzaro steps up to kick a 45-yarder. That's money in the bank all day, right? Uh, should be. So I drunkenly proceed to try to fight the jersey over my head, which, albeit I have a gigantic skull, I get stuck. And somehow in the struggle of trying to do this, now you remember my ex-girlfriend's apartment with the big porch that hung out over the parking lot? Yeah. And then the wraparound deck that kind of went around the side with the steep staircase that went down by the back door of the kitchen? Yeah. I somehow proceeded to fall down the stairs while drunkenly trying to fight my jersey off of myself. They're wooden stairs, people, and I fell down from probably about 18 feet. And I'm laying in a heap at the bottom of this thing with the cooks smoking a cigarette asking me if I'm okay. And my ex-girlfriend comes out and goes, Hey, uh, do you remember Megahand, our defensive end? Uh, the guy who was known for blocking kicks? Was it Alex Carrington? Alex Carrington. He blocked the field goal attempt. <laughs> she leans out and goes, hey, the Bills blocked it. It's going to overtime. And now I, in front of like seven different people, have to somehow pick myself up from the bottom of the stairs, crawl upstairs, and go watch overtime where the Bills go on to win. I'll never forget that. And that's what I think of every time I see Bills Arizona. Now, there are injuries this week to watch that I think are going to impact this matchup. For Buffalo, it's... First of all, you get the day-to-day injuries. Cody Ford and cornerback uh, uh, Tredavious White, ankle yep. injuries. Josh Norman, with his own... Who knows what he's going to be? At this point, do we need him? I feel like you almost need to sit him. Yeah, same thing with Mitch Morse. Mitch Morris with his concussion. We still don't know where he is. Feliciano had a pretty good game in replacement, although he did get that one weird penalty where he, like, rocked backwards before snapping the ball, and they called it an illegal snap. And I was like, what the hell did that ref just say? On Arizona's side, they're pretty healthy. I mean, cornerback Drake Kirkpatrick and running back Kenyon Drake are the two biggest things to watch for on their side. I think both of those could play significant roles if they're out on Sunday. Chris, question for you. Why should why are you, if at all, afraid of the Arizona Cardinals? Uh, I would be afraid of the Arizona Cardinals for Kyler Murray's escapability and to make plays on his feet. So I would leave that to you and Nate if like how what is our linebacker core gonna be? How do we how do we keep him contained within the pocket? Because I would assume that it's going to be in the same style where you, of preparing for somebody like a Lamar Jackson, where you want to make them a quarterback and not let them escape and use their feet. Before I give the floor to Nate, I just want to speak my piece. Yes, you're talking about a team that's second in the NFC West, a conference that just a week or so ago was being talked about as maybe the best in the NFL. I mean, now I think the AFC North might hold that. I don't know. But I think that they were in the the NFC West was definitely in the running early this season. And obviously, they're another West Coast powerhouse on the offensive side of the football. But when you look at who they've beaten, with all that ability that you're talking about, 
The 49ers, who were slash are banged up. <coughs> Washington, who's a mess on offense. The Jets and Cowboys, who are in the NFL's basement and equally a mess on offense. And Seattle, featuring the world's worst defense, the worst, historically the worst defense the NFL has ever seen through this early portion of the season. And statistically on defense, Arizona's not that far behind. I... <laughs> Kind of similarly to Seattle, Arizona hasn't seen a team with the offensive firepower to keep keep pace with them outside of Seattle, and they had to go to overtime. And we just bested that team. Why should I be afraid of these guys? If we're talking about Arizona and the Buffalo Bills, this Arizona team in year two, Kingsbury and Kyler, They've kind of grown with the trades they made, some some savvy drafting. They've become something of an offensive juggernaut. On a scale of 1 to 10, how scared are you of this team, Nate? Yeah, I mean, they're good. I I was surprised to see them lose to the Dolphins, let's put it that way. I I think that they're they're a playoff team. Uh, I think they'll end up being in second place in the NFC West out there when it's all said and done. But, um, yeah, it starts with Kyler Murray, you know, and and Cliff Kingsbury does – I, I genuinely I, I i love i love kyler murray but i do not think kyler murray could really be kyler murray in just about any other system than the one he's playing in order under um under kingsbury so um but with that said i mean they've got one of the best receivers in football in deandre hopkins um and um you know their run game is, is really solid i think the bills are fortunate they don't have to worry about kenny and drake in this one um, they can focus on Chase Edmonds, but some people would tell you that, that they liked Edmonds more, and now this is an excuse to get him more touches. So um, at the end of the day, it starts and finishes with Kyler Murray, and the Bills are going to have to do what they can to, to contain him. He ran for 100 yards last week, um, and he's capable of doing that. So in the red zone, he is just as big of a threat in very different ways than Josh Allen. And that's against a Miami defense that's leading the NFL in scoring, yeah. like scoring defense. I mean, their accolades in 2020, they're number one in total yards, number one in first downs, two players with over 200 yards after the catch. The Bills don't have a single one. The performance have a single player over 200 yards after the catch. Their most heavily targeted wide receivers between Nuke, Fitz, and Kirk have just one drop between them on 116 targets, which is absurd. So they're all sure-handed, speedy guys who are route running savvy. I mean, this is a this is a playground for Cliff Kingsbury, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, and uh, they, they like Christian Kirk's a nice little player too. That uh, that's really kind of coming out and thriving now with uh, with Kyler Murray. Larry Fitz finds his finds his creases and his spaces um, in defenses. But yeah, I mean, it, I, I've got to imagine if you're looking at this Bills defense in particular. Um, that there are some matchups that they'll look to exploit. I suspect that you see um, that, that you see a lot of Trey White on, on, on DeAndre Hopkins, um, and we'll see what the outcome of that is. And, and you know, can you can you mini- minimize what the the damage Christian Kirk can do? Because deep Christian Kirk is a weapon. Uh, Christian Kirk has six touchdowns as a slot receiver. Yeah, that's he's a, he's a deep ball threat as a slot receiver. That's not exactly what you would you know may, maybe think about when you're thinking about slot receivers. So. When you think about the Arizona Cardinals, where are some of the mismatches that the Bills can exploit on offense? Because obviously, Arizona, the thing that everyone loves about them, they're not a great defense. So what are some things you think the Bills can do well on Sunday to kind of get a get a leg up? I do think that the run game is going to make its... Uh 
make its return this week. I, I, no Chandler Jones really hurts them. Listen, um, Buda Baker is one of the best young players in football. If you don't know him, familiarize yourself with him now. Um, he is a um, he's a Patrick Peterson level um, type talent in the back end of that. I defense. remember him coming out of Washington and thinking to myself, "Man, did the Cardinals reach in the second round?" And then watching his career, it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, he's turned into a real stud. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, on the run and on the ground in the run game is definitely place uh, is definitely an area you could beat them. But I suspect to see them see them go right after that defense um, with Josh Allen in this passing game. You know, I don't, I don't think they're shying away from anything. And I think it's going to have to be, um, you know, you got to be careful blitzing Kyler Murray. But um, I think you could potentially see a very similar game plan both offensively and defensively. Um, to try to get after uh, the quarterback and uh, and throw it to win. And then I'll leave it up to you. What's your mm-hmm. what's your key to victory? I would say key to victory for me has got to be containing Kyler Murray on the ground. Um, force him to beat you as a as a pocket passer. Um, not that he can't do that well, um, but I think you would. I think you'd. I think you'd be fine to say we, if we could take away his running ability. Um, which it's really hard to do. Yeah, he's just he's just a, a, a really slippery guy. But I, I think if you take one one of those phases away, take away the run game, force him to play from uh, from the pocket with his size. I, I think that that would give the Bills their best uh, their best opportunity. Your prediction for the game, sir? Um, I'm. Uh, that's a great question. I mean, I picked Seattle last week, um, and I felt pretty good about that, and I felt pretty confident about the pick. Um, <laughs> I, I don't I, for whatever reason I'm, I'm not going to feel as confident about this pick either way. Um, but I think I think I'm going to take the Bills. I, I think I'll take the Bills. Um, 28, 28-24. Nate, we always enjoy you on this podcast. Thank you for taking time out of what is a packed schedule. Where can people find you on social media, and what do you have coming up this week? I mean, I know you're making the rounds. Uh, I, of course, on Twitter at Nate Geary Sports. And then, uh, yeah, my normal weekly Saturday Sports Talk Saturday show, which you can hear on WGR 11 at 2. Um, and then pregame, uh, no Jeremy White this week. So it'll be uh, it'll be just me for uh, for the morning portion of the pregame, um, then the late morning portion of the pregame, and then halftime, and then the overtime show, of course, uh, after the game as well. So you got Nate's key to victory. Now here's ours. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. I think the first one, which touch containing Christian Kirk in the slot. Teron Johnson might be coming off one of his best games of 2020, and he's going to need to carry that momentum because he's going to be probably tasked pretty often with covering wide receiver Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk with six touchdowns from the slot. You know who doesn't have six touchdowns? God, do you know? Oh yeah, I'm. No, not <laughs> the Seagrams. I'm trying to withhold my mouth from saying things where you would go. We need to edit that out. Oh, I know, I know. No one on the Bills' offense. No one, right? When you look at receiving stats, touchdowns, who has them? There's no one. We're spreading the ball out too well. No one has more than three. Christian Kirk, this little slot receiver, has six. That's dangerous. This team is going to have to find a way to contend with that. He's going to have to have safety help. I mean, Kirk has been killing teams. And all, 
ultimately it sucks because the safeties can't really help because you have to try to contain Nuke on one side and Larry Fitzgerald on the other side. And it's made even more dangerous when Fitz slides in into the opposite slot in the four wide receiver sets, something that the Cardinals have run more passes out of than any team in the NFL. Last year, Chris, they, what, 39% compared to the next highest team being at less than 8%? They love four wide receiver sets. And this year, it's finally taken off with the, as you would expect, with DeAndre Hopkins, right? Yeah. Okay, so now their four wide receiver sets are so dangerous that the slots have been where they've been beating people for scores. Teron Johnson's going to have to have to have the game of his life, or this coaching staff is going to have to come up with a ridiculous game plan. On the offensive side of the ball, you have to find your balance in play calling. The pass-heavy approach the Bills took worked against poor coverage units for Seattle, but it won't be that simple against the Cardinals. I mean, they're not elite, but they're not pushovers to the same degree. I mean, the Seahawks are the worst trending. What They set the record through six weeks. We didn't help. I'm sure we shoved them back down the stairs. Yeah. They're trending towards the worst defense in NFL history. In particular, their cornerbacks are worlds better. Peterson, Byron Murphy. Those two guys on the outside are allowing less than a 60% completion percentage on their targets, and they're man coverage corners. Nate talked about it earlier in the show, about how the Seahawks struggled when they try to play man coverage. Well, guess what Peterson and Murphy can both do? is just man up. They man up very well, which means Diggs and Brown are not going to have the field day that they had against the Cardinals or against the Seahawks that they will against the Cardinals. And that, and then you throw in what Pro Bowl safety, All Pro safety, Buda Baker. He's in the low seventies for completion percentage while targeted. Now, what I will say is they did give up almost a hundred yards on the ground between quarterback rushing yards and a handful of carries. Which, to Nate's point, you get the running attack going. This is a defense that's not known for its rush defense, and with a quarterback who can run like Josh Allen can, how scared are you of the Arizona defense? Uh, not that scared if they're going to be missing Chandler Jones. If they can balance this play calling, I think we have a shot here. Your prediction, sir? Um, I think we're going to win this game. I think it. I think it's going to be. Now is that just the Seagrams talking, or <laughs> the, well, it's a mixture of Seagrams and Moosehead? But I think we're going to win this game. Um, I think. We will win this. I think it's going to still high scoring like last week. I think Buffalo wins this game 31-27. I will say it's a high scoring game. I think our defense can make more plays on the ball. More plays on the ball than, than the Miami defense did. But I think they're going to struggle. I th- Chris, they've traditionally struggled with running quarterbacks. Yeah. I think that if they focus too hard on that, they're going to get beat by the pass, and they don't want to do that. I think this is going to be tight. I, I'm going to take the Bills, but I feel like it's a field goal game, and I feel like it's lower scoring than people expect because both defenses play better. 
I think it's going to be 27-24, Buffalo Bills. Excellent. With the last-minute 60-yard field goal from Tyler Bass, cementing his spot as not a waste, as so many of you on Twitter have called for. That, that sounds like fun. And we're watching it at your house? At my house. All right, excellent, because I'm bringing a dip. Yes! And I'm only saying that because Saturday, big day, Saturday, meeting the girlfriend's dad. Oh. He's had, you know what? He's had my, two of my dips. So he's a huge fan of the dip. But he hasn't met you. But he is not me. <laughs> he knows your dips before he knows you. Yeah, so I'm. A, so part of, part of it is. Sat- so you, you're already going into this with a leg up. Yeah, so Saturday, that's most some of the reason why I'm going to bring a dip on Sunday is because I'm going to make uh, chicken bacon barbecue dip. I'll bring it to the to the game on Sunday, but I'm also going to have a small portion for her dad, knowing that he's already like my Italian sausage dip and chicken wing dip. Folks, this is what we're missing out on. This is what I was talking about earlier. Our tailgating skills are being wasted on relationships. And <laughs> I wouldn't exactly call my relationship a waste. No, but your dip making skills, pfft, her father. Pfft. That's an easy in. She'll tell you that. She, te- she texted me both times like, my dad loves this dip. And she took my, I made a, what did the last dip I made was a bacon cheeseburger. I made I gave some of that to my girlfriend and she took it to a party and there was other dips there and it's like your dip is just yeah but that happens every time you take your dip anywhere we had a <laughs> folks we had at one of our tailgates a legitimate husband wife fight break out because he got drunk ate a whole bunch of Chris's dip and then no one touched his wife's wing dip because Chris's is top notch. It's gourmet. You can't beat it. <laughs> it has real blue cheese crumbles, actual shredded chicken. There's no cream cheese involved. Like it's no, there is a, cream cheese, but there's no yeah. like I don't use like sour cream or anything. No. And I think the kicker to my chicken wing dip, it's hotter than most. Yeah. And so everyone devoured it and no one touched her dip and she looked at her husband and went you son of a bitch! You couldn't even take you couldn't even take one bite, and he goes, "Honey, your sucks." <laughs> and I saw a face. It was the best. It was the greatest thing I've ever seen. This is what we're missing—not being able to attend games this year. But I'm over it. I've moved past it. And I'm I'm excited for this week because it's it's with a win here and going to Chris. If we can get to eight wins, you put a stranglehold. Yeah, I, I was actually Ted Nugent style. <laughs> Strangle, I was actually looking at a, a tweet I, or a photo of a tweet that I had saved from June, where uh, of NFL Network Adam Rank had said that the Bills will this season go nine and seven and miss the playoffs. <laughs> We're almost to nine wins. When we get to nine wins, can we actually just drive to where he lives? And then wait for him to leave for work, and then just hit him with a steel chair, throw a bag of flour in his face, and then run away. I'll say, I'm, when we get to nine wins, I'll send you the photo. <laughs> you tweet it at him and just rip him. Ah, I'd, ra- I'd rather physical violence. I just feel like that solves so many more things. <laughs> Folks, before I incriminate myself any further, we got to get the hell out of here. This has been a hell of a week, and we have one upcoming. One of the final big tests for the Buffalo Bills this year. 
We gotta get out of here. I'm Drew Geary. That's Chris Krueger. That was Nate Geary. And this has been your Rock Pile Report.